Well, good morning. I'm so thankful that you're here today. Now, if you're new with us, we have been tracking through the book of Samuel. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's interesting as you uh, think about this transition, I hope you keep your Bibles open to 2 Samuel 8 and 9, because God has some, I think, some very important things for us today. And, and you know, when you think about this a period of, of Samuel, this, this transition time. I, I think it's interesting how uh, we need to understand this time in the life of God's people. And as you recognize the transition in the book of Samuel through uh, from the time of the judges, because Samuel was the last judge in, in Israel, and, and this transition takes place from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And as we've been in this story, and, 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 and I hope that if, you, if you're joining us today and you're new, I, I hope that you will take some time to, to back up and, and, and understand the book of Samuel. But it's important to understand where this fits. Because Samuel is this, this transition. Saul has, has been, had been established as king by, by the prophet Samuel, the last judge. And the period of Saul was a difficult time, a time marked by rebellion, by, um, by, by really the punishment of God. And, and now Saul, Samuel transitioned from, from Saul to, to David. And, it, and it's so important as you understand the story of David. And this is what I pray we do as a church body, that we can, we can recognize the, the, the impact of David. Think about the Old Testament. So much of the Old Testament shines the light on, on David. Now, why? Why is that? Be, be, and, I, and I think it's important for us to understand this because David is, gives us this incredible picture of Jesus. Now, now we've looked at this, and, I, and I've said this many times if, if you've been with us, that, that when you look at the book of Samuel, it's important to interpret it not as a me, but as a we. Because this is a message to God's people. Now, uh, last week we were in 2 Samuel 7. And, and we've got to resist a temptation when we study the Bible. And, and when we study it, study it systematic like we do at our church, uh, you know, sometimes it's tempting to, to read the Bible so quickly that, that we don't notice the timelines. Because when you think about 2 Samuel 7, where we, we saw the covenant that God made with David last week, uh, today we're in chapters 8 and 9, and we've got to understand that a, that a significant amount of time has gone by. So, so this is not just, like we read it within minutes of go from 2 Samuel 7 to chapters 8 and 9. But, but a lot of time has taken place. And, and by chapter 8, David is established. David's kingdom is established. And we've said from the beginning that, that the book of Samuel and the story of Scripture is historical narrative. So that means it's, it's historical. It happened in time. And, and it's this story that we need to process and understand. And it's easy to look past this, okay, Mephibosheth was uh, invited to David's house and, and David had done these things and won these battles. But, but you've got to recognize the significance of this his history, this moment in time. Because, you know, when you, when you think about the world stage of, of God's people here, uh, it's, it's really, uh, when you think about the Israelites, they weren't really the big players in the, in the world at this time. I mean, the world, uh, if you study the history of the world right here in the time of Samuel, you had the Egyptians, 
that were known for law. You had the, the uh, Babylonians that were, were, were powerful and, and, and they were just, uh, they, they were known for, uh, excuse me, Babylonians were known for law. Egyptians were known for wisdom. And then you had the Assyrians. They were these world powers that were just brutal. And then stuck in the middle, you have these Israelites. And, and these people were, uh, were relatively small. But yet, in chapters 8 and 9, David is winning all these battles. You, you know, it's easy to look at the blip of the Israelites on the stage of world history and say, you know, they weren't that big of a player. But here's what you have to realize. God's hand, was, it was on the, the Israelites. And, and, and you know, God's hand is on his people. And this is, the, this is something I, that encourages me because here we are, the church. We're the people of God living in a, a crazy time in the history of the world. But yet God's hand always remains on his people. And I'll tell you the song that Joe just sang. I told him just as I was coming up, that's I think my new favorite song. Um, because God's hand is on his people. He blesses his people. And this is the, the story of God. This is the, the reason why it's important to understand the, the narrative of Samuel. Because we, we tend to, to, to read over these things, but not really study them. So what I want us to do today is have our Bibles open to 2 Samuel 8. And, and I want you to look at verse 13. Because in chapter 8, verse 13, we, we, we've got to not just let this uh, breeze by us. But let's pause and let's stop and let's turn our face to the Word of God because he's got something incredible for us today. Verse 13, look at this. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom, and throughout all Edom he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And, and, and the only way to explain this, it's the hand of God. And he goes on, and the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Look at verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilad, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitab, and Abimelech, the son of Abathar, were priests, and Sariah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and, and David's sons were priests. Now, let's not lose sight of something. Be, be, and, and I want us to see this fact that, 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 that God is blessing his people. And as we've looked at the story of Samuel, you know, it's so honest, it's almost uncomfortable. And, and we recognize when you understand the story that God is blessing his people with these military victories, not because they deserved it, not because they earned it. I mean, we've seen God's people over and over again be rebellious, ungrateful, but God still blesses his people in this little bitty nation state of Israel is winning all these battles. And the blessing of God is upon them. And, 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 and it appears that David's the man. I mean, he's this military genius. That's what it appears. But, but these victories, as these victories unfold, as, as, these, as David's name becomes uh, reputable among the, among the world, uh, on the world stage, Let's not miss 
Look at verses, chapter 8, verse 6. Let's not miss this because when it describes about uh, the Syrians and the victory over the Syrians, look at verse 8. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Right? You got to notice that. And David noted, David recognizes this. That's what makes David different than Saul. He recognizes that the Lord is giving the victory. Uh, look at verse 14. Uh, he, he, when it describes the garrisons that he put in Edom, and he put them all through Edom. And look at, look at verse 14. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So twice, two times. Samuel, the book of Samuel recognizes it's the Lord that's giving the victory. And this is, this is something simple and profound, but, but we can't overlook it. And I don't want us to overlook this. As we, as we read through this passage with all these big Bible names, because some of the times uh, we think about, man, I'm glad my mom didn't name me a high tub or tubby or I, I don't know. Um, but but he named, she named me Chris. I was thankful. Christopher, I'm thankful for that. Uh, flows better. But, but you see these big Bible names, and sometimes we get lost in those names, and we miss the point. And I don't want us to do this today. Because David right here gets it. This is what makes him different from Saul. As we've looked at Saul, Saul was always wanting to make a name for himself. But David was like, Lord, I want to serve you. And, and look at what happens. God gives him recognition. And, and it reminds me of, of, of the truths of Scripture that seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6. And all these things will be given to you as well. And for us to be a people, for God's people to learn to seek the kingdom of God. Now, now as you look at this, one of the, we recognize that, that God is blessing David. And, and, the, and the question we need to confront today is why? Why was God giving him all these victories? Why was it that, that David was, was winning all these battles? Was it because God wanted David to like sit up in his palace and drink some tea and, and live the high life and, and all that? No, no, let's catch this. And I want us to hear this as the people of God, that, that this is one of, of the, the, the most um, important historical points for God's people. And I do not want us to miss it today. That, that when you look at 2 Samuel 8 and 9, we recognize that God blesses David and his people so they can be a blessing to others. And see, this is why God put his hand on a people so they could go into the world and, and be a blessing to others. And, 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 and this, is, this is really important for us to understand as the people of God today, that God... God's blessing is meant to flow to us so that it can flow through us. I don't want us to miss this. You, you know, several years ago, uh, Robin and I went to New York City. And, uh, and, and you know, I loved New York City because there was a bunch of people there. And if you don't know me very well, uh, I am a people person. Okay, I really am. I mean, uh, people give me a hard time because like when I go study in my office, sometimes I just got to come out and see somebody. And, and this period of time is really, really hard for me as a, as a people person. Uh, and so, you know, when we were in New York City, I, I loved it because we would walk around and, and Robin kept saying to me, would you stop talking to everybody? Because I was literally walking going, how you doing, man? Hey, good to see you. Oh, I like that, man, cool shirt. Uh, and, and one guy had a, had a Google shirt on. I walked up, hey, man, I got a question for you. And uh, he's like, okay. I was like, oh, you had a Google shirt on. I, th I thought that was funny. But, um, but Robin was like, quit talking to people. 
And, um, but, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. And, um, and we go to this place, and it was kind of in a, a crowd. Uh, uh, and I don't have time to go into the whole story, but, but it was an odd confrontational moment. And, and I was in the crowd of this event, and, and it was about 60, 75 people in the crowd. And, and they found out that I was a pastor. And, uh, and you know what? It was interesting because the people from the stage were trying to get under my skin because they knew I was a pastor. And I would love to say that it didn't work, but, they, but it did work. They got under my skin. And I have this problem in my life that sometimes I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. And this was one of those moments. And, and, and you know, there was a guy that came to the stage and, and he, he said, hey, are you the pastor? Are you the pastor everybody's been talking about? And I was like, I am. And he goes, um, and, 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 and we had this kind of odd moment in front of all these people. And he looked at me and he said something. He said, you probably wouldn't want me to come to your church. And I was kind of embarrassed in this moment. Robin was horrified. And I said to him, I, I would want you to come to my church. And then he made this statement. He said, Jesus wouldn't want me. And I got to look at him and go, you know what, man? He would want you. And then he, then he asked me this question. And it was odd. But he looked at me and said, let me ask you a question, preacher. Do you go to one of those churches that actually help people? And I looked at him. And I said, you know what? I do. I do. I actually go to a church that helps people. And then we had this awkward moment and then we got up to leave and the whole crowd cheered as we left because they were glad we were leaving. But, but you know what? I want us to know. I want you to know. Even in this crazy moment of history, do you realize that we go to a church that actually helps people? And, and, and see, this is the historical point for the people of God, that God brings blessing to us for the purpose of blessing others. Look at verse 15. I want us to see this. So David, look at 15, chapter 8. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. You see, point number one, if you're taking notes, is this, that God blesses his people so they can bless others. And, and this, is, this is something that we understand and, and we see in God's people here that God's blessing is not earned or deserved. And we don't earn God's blessing. We don't deserve God's blessing. But, but God blesses us for the purpose of blessing others. And I'm grateful that, for this. And, and, and this is some things we need to understand. That, do you realize that, that not every resource that, that, that comes to us is for us? And this is the truth, that there are times God will give us resources and we, will, we are to manage these resources, but it's really not for us. And I pray that we recognize this important point. And as you see David's victories unfolding, um, and we need to see this because this is a, uh, we should interpret this to we, not to me. And David is, sometimes we look at David and go, you know, I'm like David. But we gotta recognize that, that the example that David sets most of the time, is a picture of Jesus. He's a picture of Christ. And you see, God's victory through David is an example of Christ's victory through us. 
And this is an amazing picture that we have and, 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 and point that we need to understand. And think about what, what God has brought to us. Think of the victory that Jesus brought to the earth. I mean, I mean, like David wins all these battles. Think of the battles that Jesus has won. Jesus has defeated the battle of sin. That's the greatest fight that we have is the battle of sin. Jesus has defeated the battle of death. I mean, look at this coronavirus. People are asking, is this really for real? One of my good friends who's watching right now from Florida, we had a conversation last night. Is this really bad? You know what's happening right now is people are considering life and death. And let me tell you something. Jesus, when he came, he defeated death completely. And this is why as a Christian we have hope even in the face of loss. You know, I was praying for Keith Davis today, his father. Jerry is a member of our church. He is really struggling today. And, and today may be a day that he goes to be with the Lord. And, and though we are praying for Shirley and for Jerry and for their family, Keith and his family, we're praying for them right now. But let me tell you something. If, if this is the day that Jerry Giltner goes to be with the Lord, Jesus defeated death. Jerry knows Christ as his Savior. And let me tell you something, that's a promotion for him. And this is what Jesus has done. And, and you know, um, this is so transformative that I don't want us to miss it. That, that, that God, Christ, has brought victory. And, 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 and you know, it's interesting. As I think about how Christ moves, us, moves his people to give. I had a pastor friend of mine call me yesterday. And he and I were talking, and, and you know what? I'm finding that all of my friends are, are kind of saying the same story. He was asking, how is our church doing financially? And I was like, man, our people are giving. And he's like, ours too. And, and, that, and, and on one hand, I'm a little shocked because we are in an economic downturn. And, 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 and at one, on one thought, I thought, well, I, I bet we're going to see a drop in giving. But on the other hand, I'm not shocked because God continues to bless us and, and we continue to tithe and give. And this is a, a call that we have. And, 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 and I love this example in David because in this passage, we see him living generously. And, and this is the call of a person that's impacted by God. You see, God gifted David. God blessed David. And, and you know what, what we all discover, point two, is important, that the gifts of God compel us to give. And isn't this true? And haven't you seen this in your life? That when God blesses you, we're compelled to give to others? Now, now, now this may surprise you, but, but, um, but, you know, when you do a search of the, uh, of the four major Bible words, Key words in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever done the, those things. Of just list, listed uh, how many times these words are mentioned. Let me give you the top four words that are mentioned in the Bible. The fourth most used word in the Bible is believe. And that word is used 272 times in all the scriptures. The third most used word in the Bible is pray. 371 times that word is used. The second most used word in the Bible is love. 714 times that word is used. Do you know what the most word, used word in the Bible is? It's give. And do you know how many times that word's used? 2,162 times. You see, God's call on the lives of his people is that 
I am blessing you for the purpose of giving to the world, of sharing that blessing. And, and, and you know what? Giving is not just a responsibility, it's an opportunity. And I want us to see this because, because you know, the, the, I believe the Bible teaches us and we're learning as a church to, to move to financial maturity as a body. And, and, and you know, we are, we are, we are understanding that, that, that giving is a response to what God has done in the past. And, and that's one of the reasons we give. Giving is also a response of what God is doing in the present, what he's doing in our lives right now. And, and giving is a response for what God will do in the future. And we recognize this. We're learning this as a body. We're, 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 we're growing to financial maturity. Not so I can, as a pastor, can go buy a jet or something like that. Look, we're called to serve the Lord and be a resource in this community. And, and folks, God is calling us, and, and we're, we're seeing this happen in the life of our church, through the mission, through, through our ministries. And I'm, I'm grateful for this. And, and let's think about giving. Let's think about what God's doing in, in David's life. Why is he so benevolent to God's people? Why is he so benevolent to, to Mephibosheth? We're gonna look at that in a second. But, but giving is this expression of gratitude, isn't it? That, that we give because we're saying, Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful people. And out of our gratitude, we give to you. We give back to you. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, each man is to give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. And we understand that God, you, you are the source of our life. God, you are the source of our abilities. God, you are in charge of all the natural resources. God, God you're the source of everything. And we know this. And when we, we've, we learn to give out of an expression of gratitude. And see, David is moving, 2 Samuel 8 and 9. David is in this time of plenty, of, of, of victory, of, of peace and uh, battles. But, but he's in this time of victory and he's moved to give generously. And this is how God moves his people. And it was giving was out of the gratitude of his heart. And, and here's the point. The point is our giving is evidence of our love. And when I talked to my pastor friend yesterday, I was like, our people love the Lord. And they love, what, they love our church. And, and giving is this, this evidence of your love. It's not the only one, but, but it's the one that God told, told, told us to exercise. We're to learn to be givers. And, and, and let's be honest. Your money, where your money goes, that tells you where your value is. And so one of the things that you can do to do a little checkup on your heart is evaluate where does your money go? And, and what does giving do? It shows an expression of gratitude. What else does giving do? It wipes, it wipes out selfishness. Have you seen this in your life? The giving wipes away selfishness. I mean, we see this with David, that, 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 that he had this, this call to say, Lord, I want to give to, to, to help these people, help Mephibosheth, help, help others, help your people um, walk with you. And, and it kind of reminds me of Luke 12. You remember Luke 12 when Jesus tells the story of, of this, of this uh, rich guy? He had these barns. He had all this stuff. He goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to just store away my stuff because I got all these things. And I'm going to live for many years. You know what God says to him in Luke 12, 20? He says, you fool. 
You're a fool because tonight your life will be required of you. And then Luke 12, 21 says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And see, David got that. He said, Lord, I want to be rich toward you, not rich towards myself or mankind. You know, when uh, I'm grateful for parents, for both Robin and I and our parents, because our parents taught us as young children, man, we need to, we need to tithe. We need to give above our tithe. And, and they, we, they taught us that. And you know, when Robin and I got married, we made a decision. We will always tithe. And I've known ministers, pastors, that say, you know what, I'm giving my time. And uh, so I don't really need to tithe. That's unbiblical. God calls us to tithe and give generously. And you know what Robin and I have discovered all through our lives? That, that, that God blesses that. That, that God, oh, we've never been able to outgive him. And, and, and I, I, I'm grateful that giving, it gets rid of our selfishness. And I'm thankful giving also, it impacts our future. And, and, I, and, I, I'm, and David learned this. You know, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also weep sparingly. Who, who, whoever sows generously will reap generously. And, and Paul's using in, in that passage in Corinthians this, uh, this analogy of a farmer, just like a farmer goes and sows a, a bunch of seed. He gets a bunch of crop. And, and, and I'll tell you, I, I pray that you recognize the joy of giving, how it impacts your future. Now, when you think about giving, uh, there, there's two types of, of people as they learn to give. Some are, are, are reason givers. They, they go back and, and they look at their budget and they do their numbers and say, what can we afford to give? You know what I think is better? A revelation giver. Lord, we're gonna go back and we're gonna ask you what do you want us to do? And then when God speaks, you give according not to your numbers, but to what God says. And this is the call that we have as believers. This is a joy that I don't want you to miss. But, but as you look at 2 Samuel 8 and 9, you see God teaching this historical truth. That, that David, I am going to bless you for the purpose of blessing others. And this is the call we have as a church planted right here in Tulsa. And, and when I think about how we are to consider how to bless the people of Owasso, how we're to bless the people in the small towns around us, how we are, how God has opened the door to move us to, to, uh, to off of Admiral to, to be two campuses, that, that we're to figure out how to bless the people in, off Admiral. Folks, we, are, we have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. And we cannot miss this. But, but I don't want us to miss chapter nine. Look at it. Look at verse one. Look at this. And David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, let's not let that bounce off our, our ears, our hearts. He's looking for someone from the house of Saul. Now, now if you've been with us, David had to run, from, run for his life for over a decade. You know, I mean, these people wanted to kill him. These people wanted to destroy him. His only loyal um, friend in the life of Saul was Jonathan, and he got killed. 
And, and people didn't know, I, I guarantee you, many people didn't know about the covenant that Jonathan and David made. And, and Saul, he has this thought, I need to bless the house, not of Jonathan, of Saul. Yeah, he remembered Jonathan. But what is David doing? He's, he, this grace that God has shown him, it's moved him to be a forgiving leader. And this is one of the things you see in the heart of David. You see him often forgiving people that wronged, wronged him. Look, there are times that we feel wronged. And let me tell you something. We are compelled by the grace of God to forgive, aren't we? I mean, haven't you felt that in your own life? That, that I, mean, I think about that when, I, when I'm tempted to hold grudges against brothers or against people that don't know the Lord. I think about Robin and I having to, leaving that room in humility in New York City. They were, they were laughing at us, cheering that we were leaving. And, and you know what? It would have been easy. And thankfully, God stopped my mouth from just being a smart aleck that I was actually able to, we were able to be a witness on that day. But, but you know what? It's, when you think about it, goodness gracious, the grace of God moves us to forgive others. And this is beautiful. And I don't want us to miss this. Look at verse one. And David said, is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of his house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And Ziba was this influential man. You see in this chapter, he had like a bunch of kids. Um, and he was a powerful man. He was a leader in the house of Saul. And in verse three, the king said, um, or Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. And you remember 2 Samuel 4.4 tells about Mephibosheth. And, and Mephibosheth was a crippled. And you remember the tragedy of his life? I mean, as a, as a five-year-old boy, uh, the, the day that his life completely changed because his, his dad and his grandfather were in power and they had all the authority. And overnight, his life was wrecked. And this servant tried to rescue him. 2 Samuel 4, 4 talks about this. How as they rushed out, they dropped him and he was, he's crippled. And, and you know, you got to understand culturally, this is a, a shame culture. A crippled person at this time in the history of the world was looked on as you're cursed by God. You're a burden. And, 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 and Mephibosheth, he's, he's like not feeling real good about himself. And he's, he's in exile and he's hiding and look at verse four. The king said to him, where is he? Ziba told him he's in Lodabar. And, and verse, verse six, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, uh, David sends for him. Now, can you imagine Mephibosheth getting the news? Hey, King David wants to see you. And I guarantee he's like, I'm dead. It's over. I've been hiding. I've been in exile. He's found me. I'm dead. And Look at verse, verse six. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he's begging and answered, behold, I'm your servant. Now, this is a big moment. This is a terrifying moment for Mephibosheth. And, and, and the king sends for him. And, and think about this, Mephibosheth. It's hard to say, isn't it? You try it, say it five times. Um, not right now. But, um, but think about him. He had nothing to offer the king. 
He had to be helped there. He was crippled. He had nothing to offer the king of Israel. And when he came into his presence, look at verse 7. David said to him, do not fear. David knew that he was afraid. He said, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And look what he says. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. You know what he said? I remember Jonathan, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to restore the land of Saul to you. Look at David's forgiveness. Look at how the grace of God has impacted him. And he paid, verse 8, he paid to homage and said, What is your servant that you should so show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. And, 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 but Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. I bet Mephibosheth is sitting there going, what just happened? What in the world just happened? I thought I was coming to get my head cut off. And I just came and I've been in exile and now I'm not only rich, I get to go eat at the king's table. Whoa, whoa. And, and it says again, verse 13, Now Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Now let's not miss, let's not miss this. The three big things David said to Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, I'm going to shower you with love that is completely undeserving. You've done nothing. You have nothing to offer me. But do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to shower you with love. And he said to him, Mephibosheth, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you, Mephibosheth. Even though you're a cripple, I'm going to restore you. And then he says, Mephibosheth, I'm essentially, I'm going to adopt you. You get to come and eat at my table. And see, this is why I don't want us to read through this passage and not miss Christ in this moment. Not miss what God has done for us. Because what did Christ do? Christ brought honor to the shamed. David right here is bringing honor to the shamed. You know what? That's what Christ did for us. Christ to you and to me brought honor because guess what? We were shamed. We, we, we are those crippled people, right? I, when, when I came to Christ, I had nothing to offer him. I had nothing to offer him. You know, I'm, all of us are those crippled people. You know, I've thought about that guy in New York City. I've prayed for him often. As he looked at me, and said, Jesus wouldn't want me. You know what? I've prayed for him. I have prayed for that moment when God, from my lips, looked at him and said, now he would want you. And I've prayed that that right there, that one statement is a seed in the heart of that man that would grow 
that one day he would recognize that Jesus does want him. You see, he was right in many ways because this lost guy who was, didn't like me because I was even a preacher, he, he, when he heard the name of Jesus, he kind of felt like I don't deserve to be in his presence. I'm not worthy to be with him. And you know what? He's right. But he's not right just for him. He's right for me too, for all of us. You see, we don't deserve forgiveness. But here's the point. Like Mephibosheth, he was born an enemy of the king. You realize that we are naturally born enemies of the king. You and I are. But guess what? In spite of that, Jesus came. You know what he invites us to? He invites us to the king's table. Oh my goodness. God invites us to his table. You know, I pray that we as God's people, we never forget, ever, ever forget the grace that has been shown us. Because as we remember the grace of God, the blessing of God, we are compelled to give. And, and, and you know what? With joy, we give. Oh my goodness, with joy, we give to the Lord. Our lives, our resources, our, our everything. We're, we're also compelled to forgive one another. And can I tell you, that's, that's hard at times. But the more I come close to Christ, the more I lean into the word of God, the more I lean into the Holy Spirit's work in my life, I'm compelled to hold no grudges. I'm, I'm compelled to keep no records of wrongs. I'm compelled to forgive like I've been forgiven. And you know what? I get to go to the king's table and I don't deserve to be there. And neither do you. You may be listening today and you're like, you know what, Jesus, I don't think he'd want me. And I just want to be in front of you to say he does. That's why he came. That's why he's given us these incredible Old Testament stories to wrestle through and to think about and to examine and to dig into and not to overlook. Do you know that, that if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, do you realize you could do that today? That right now, online, there are people that can connect with you there's a, I think we're going to put something on the screen that tells you about um, a form you can fill out and connect with. And, and you, could, you could call our church or you could fill out that, that, that form that says to pray. You know, I, I pray you see our Savior. I pray you recognize the joy of, of knowing him and walking with him. And I, and I pray you see God has put us in your life to help you. You know what? We are people that are not, we don't have it all together. You know, my friend Chuck told me yesterday, oh, Chris, you, you got it all together. And I'm like, oh, dude, man, I don't. I'm broken in need of a Savior. 
and, and you know what? Here's what I've discovered. What Christ is doing in us is putting us together. And your life may be falling apart. Come to the one who can really put you together. Would you, would you call us? Would you let us help you? Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves. I pray that there would, the barriers would be obliterated in this moment. And Father, there would be someone today that would reach out. Lord, use us. May we be givers because you've blessed us. May we be a people that understand that your blessing comes to us to be a blessing. And Father, may we be a forgiving people. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to your table. And in this moment, I pray that your spirit moves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.